what kept me going, even though I was getting beat up, it was because of love. The love that I had for the sport, the love that I had for getting up in the morning, that's what fueled, I think, the warrior. Love fueled my warrior. I really think that's the answer. That's going to be the, the infinite power that could drive anybody. Nothing will get in the way of that. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. With us today is TJ Curry. Now, TJ is actually one of my dearest friends who I've known for approximately 10 years. And our relationship first started early on in the realm of client and coach. And so I was referred to TJ to help him with some nutritional work. For many years, he was an elite level Taekwondo athlete. And we just jived right away. And we've been through a lot together as friends. Uh, We've been training partners for certain times. And today he is an incredible Taekwondo coach, amongst other things. And his holistic approach stems directly from his unique life experience. And he coaches all the way from young youth athletes up until the national team level. He is one of Team USA's coaches. And I know you're going to get to learn a lot about what really goes on behind the scenes and, and the dream that so many Olympic athletes have. And I found it to be incredibly inspiring. And so I hope you walk away with a bunch of wisdom and a bunch of things that you can apply to your life whether you're a coach, whether you're a parent, or just someone inspired to better themselves. So let's get right into it with TJ Curry. So you're just coming back right now from our mutual friend, mentor, coach in many respects, uh, Mike Basil. Uh, who's a, a really well-known cut man in boxing and is a strength and conditioning coach. So what'd you guys do today? Man, so he was my strength and conditioning coach when I was an athlete, one of them. Uh, he, he took me through the whole thing. We had uh, some fun super cat stuff, you know, throwing the weights around, um, doing the inertia bands. He always comes with the, the new fun stuff. You know, he always says, all right, I got something to show you, you know, and then we go in and we work it out. It's a lot of fun training with him. Yeah. He may be one of the very top motivators in terms of like a coach in a training session. Like he gets it. He gets every single ounce of performance out of you from his tone to what he says to just his body language. Like I remember, um, you know, working out with him a good handful of times and just, he just gets it. He brings it out of you and almost like very few people can. For sure. Yeah. He has that ability where you want to perform for him. Yeah. You know, when you're in this session and you feel like you're burning and you see him looking at you, it's like, all right, I need to step up right now. I'm not going to let him see me drop. You know, it, he, he brings out the competitiveness, right? And yeah, those people are always good to have around for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. That's how we met. We met under uh, Mike. He introduced me to you and um, he was my strength and conditioning coach, like I said. And uh, I felt like I needed some help with the, with the, um, nutrition because all the travel and all that stuff. I was like, I need to be able to lock this down a little bit more. And he was just, I got the guy for you, you know, and that's where he introduced me to you. And yeah, from there, it's been, the story's being told. <laughs> How many years ago was that? We're looking, uh, cause you were, you were heavily competing at the time you were and I'm sure we're going to go into this. You were living in the gym that you were training at in the back there and basically a closet. And I remember going out there and, and seeing uh, how you were living a little bit of how you were training. And so how many years ago are we thinking, are we looking? That had to be, I think it was around like 2013. Yeah. 2013. Wow. Yeah. So almost like 10 years. Wow. That's so wild. And so up to that point, I remember a little bit of it, but I honestly don't recall everything, you know, nutritionally and stuff like that, that we worked through together. But what was your diet like as a competitive athlete, as an elite athlete before we linked up? Because I remember like you guys didn't even, uh, I think it was like one of our first things, like even just getting you a crock pot or something, just like (laughs) help me use some like basic, basic cooking stuff. Right. Dude. So the gym was in Oakland. 
and the taco trucks, man. The taco. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 bones were completely made out of carne asada burritos, bro. <laughs> you know, and that was that was it. You know, uh, had a lot of those talk. You know, staying hydrated. I mean, I I wasn't too crazy, but I, I just didn't know. You know, like tap water, you know, I was in there drinking the tap water, pretty much just in full on survival mode, you know, and I felt it. I knew. And then also I, I it was like, I needed to find the adjustment, you know, your, your body starts talking, you know, and, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. We're a bunch of dudes. So pretty much what happened with that gym was, uh, I had a bunch of teammates. It was like five of us. And then we had a coach and we wanted to be able to have a full-time training program because we were traveling around the world. We, you know, we were already doing like some national team stuff. And, you know, when you go out and you train in other countries or, you know, you go into these competitions, you see that these guys have full-time training programs and I needed to be competitive, right? My teammates, we needed to be competitive. And so the way how we, uh, you know, our solution was to get together and get a warehouse, right? And, and put mats in the middle of the warehouse and pretty much just live <laughs> around the mats so we could train full time and not have to worry about like paying a crazy rent. You know, it's expensive in the Bay area. So that was our solution. And, you know, we were all early twenties and we didn't really know too much and we were doing the best we can, you know? And so, yeah, we had, um, burritos after training. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think with that stuff, with many athletes, especially youth athletes, like oftentimes like you can get away with a lot of stuff just based off of talent, youth, like having just, just being young in general. But there comes a point where, and I've heard this so many times, and I've noticed this within myself where like you, you do start noticing a difference. Like there is a difference between going to Chipotle and throwing down a monster burrito uh, with cheese and all that sort of stuff and then, and beans and everything. And then nothing, nothing against particular Chipotle, but I'm just saying like, it's just very different slamming carnes out of tacos from a taco truck and then actually having like a good grass fed steak with some sweet potatoes. And so over time, like I've noticed it and sometimes, and you and I were talking about this before we even hopped on a lot of times, like you don't know until you know. Right. Right. And until someone kind of like, whether it's having the knowledge or, or just having a few, few of those experiences, then you start being able to compare like, wow, like I'm really actually noticing a difference when I eat a little bit different and I don't slam these burritos or shoot down a ton of Starbucks coffee before training. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. 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 Well, yeah, exactly. And what came up for me was just, I knew that there was better. Mm. I knew that there was a way to optimize myself. You know, honestly, it didn't feel terrible at and the time at the time. Yeah. Cause I didn't know any better. Yeah, yeah. My body didn't know any better. And it was just kind of like, all right, this is what it is. You know, my, my, I, I didn't understand what the signs were telling me, like when my gut was messed up and you know, I, I didn't even know how to tell. Sure. You know, I just thought it was normal. Yeah. And then once I was like, okay, I, I need to figure this down. I need to dial this in. Then once you get better, then you're like, okay, I can't go back. Right. I can't go back to that. So I don't know. We just had the mindset, you know, me, my teammates where it was just like, what can we do? What, what, what can we do to kind of lock this down and kind of make a world-class situation out of uh, the situation that we're in? And at the time that was the big thing that came up. Right. And uh, super grateful, you know, he hooked us up. I remember actually we met in Starbucks. Do you remember that? No. Yeah. We met in Starbucks. Um, and then we were talking and then you were like, okay, so we're going to meet at the, um, Edgewood. Right. And, uh, this uh, it's a hike, a yeah, big, yeah. beautiful hiking trail. And later on, I found out that's where Jerry Rice did his hill. That's like the famous hill where he ran up. I didn't even know when we were hiking up there, but that, that hike is like a legendary place, you know, and we would go up there and yeah, you would pretty much, you were putting me on game. It was crazy. Every time we were going to hike, I was just getting my mind blown. You were teaching me stuff about the four doctors. Um, you were taking me through a bunch of like recovery stuff, um, breath work. You know, I, I remember doing uh, sun meditations cause we would go really early in the morning. That's right. Yeah. And then, you know, I had some of my friends, uh, Nonito Donaire. I was like, dude, you got to meet this guy, Mike, <laughs> you know, he was a, he's a world champion boxer. And so he came out and it was just like, it was, it was super, super cool, you know, going out there and getting introduced to this whole 
world, you know? And um, yeah, Basil, man, Basil hooked that up. <laughs> I, I met Basil when I was, we got, we're definitely going to have, have Mike on the, on the have podcast to. for sure. For have sure. To. Just me and him go back. I think I had met him when I was like 17 and we were, he was a boxing coach at the time and teaching classes at the gym that I was working at. And yeah, we just linked up right away. Just similar vibe, very optimistic, hungry. And he's just, uh, and also too, I think, right. I was just thinking, I mean, he's well into his fifties, yeah. but he literally looks like 20 years younger. Dude. Always, always look just fresh and, and vibrant and excited about life. But what I want to do right now is, you know, this, that's how we met. But if we're to take it back, because I mean, you've been a, now you're a Taekwondo coach. Uh, you coach at every single level from very young youth athletes all the way into Team USA athletes. And I know that your journey has been, I imagine like, like most high level athletes has been full of, like it hasn't been linear. It's been maybe a spiral up, down, zigzag. And so when did you start as an athlete specifically? Like when did you get into Taekwondo mm -hmm. and how were those early years for you like? Right. So started when I was four and uh, I was influenced by two. My dad wanted me to have some kind of self-defense. Um, he wanted me to be able to you know, protect myself. Right. And, uh, then also the Ninja Turtles, <laughs> honestly, bro, I loved Michelangelo. You know, I was jumping off the couch and trying to do all my kicks and, you know, it, that I was identified as Michelangelo back in the day, you know? And so it just, it just worked out, you know? Um, yeah. And then from there, um, we ended up moving from uh, San Jose, Bay Area kid. We moved over to, to Tracy and that's when I got linked up with my first like Olympic style Taekwondo gym. And that's where I kind of got to see the whole picture and, and of the whole like, you know, competing with, uh, with fighting. And I kind of fell in love with it. I had a pretty good build. You know, you got to be long, lean, long legs, you know, because pretty much what Taekwondo is, is uh, boxing with your feet. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's a lot of kicks, mostly kicks. So it just kind of worked out, fell in love with it, ended up going and making the the junior national team when I was uh, 15 years old. Um, I had my coach, Dennis Hernandez, which is like, he's still, that's my big brother to this day. I actually was talking to him uh, earlier uh, <laughs> on the way over here, you oh, know, wow. and um, yeah, he, he put in so much work and effort and, and, you know, to get a kid and put them on the junior national team where they're able to, you know, travel the world and represent team USA. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of effort. And, uh, we did it, you know, got to go and travel to Brazil. My first international experience went to Rio de Janeiro, um, had my first, uh, international competition there. Um, then after that, you know, rightfully so he needed to focus on, on, on his life, you know, cause he dedicated it so much to, um, me and my teammates, you know, he needed to have some growth on his own because he put in so much effort and I'm really grateful for that. Right. But then for me, I went to the Olympic training center. I traveled, I seen the Olympic rings all over the place and <laughs> it, it just, it lit me up, you know? And from there, I think that's where, um, you know, a big part of the drive kind of got in there, you know, uh, that's where I, I developed a, a big part of the passion was just going through and experiencing that. So coach was, uh, you know, busy doing the business stuff. I was still, uh, you know, pretty hungry for the most part going out and, and competing. And, uh, I wasn't getting the same results, obviously, you know, and, uh, these other athletes were, uh, you know, they, I would lose. And because I was like, had that really hot couple of years coming up and, you know, was able to win some competitions when these kids would beat me, they would celebrate really hard. And that just the coaches that we hugging each other and like all the, it was just like really. Because the level that you were at and so a victory over you meant a lot to them. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. And then it just, it just, it crushed me, you know, it broke me. And then, um, yeah, from there, that's when I was like, okay, I can't do this no more. You know, fuck this. I'm done. You know? So I, you quit. I, I, I stopped. I stopped oh. for a while, you know? And then mm. when that happened, I needed to find that fire. You know, there's, there's something about walking out into the ring and then hearing in a crowd, Oh, TJ Curry's fighting or whatever. You know, you, you, you feel that it's like a certain thing that kind of fed me, mm -hmm. you know? And, and when I didn't have the outlet with, uh, with my sport, 
I try to find it in other ways. And, and it kind of turned into uh, trouble, you know, got into some um, interesting situations, you know, me and my friends, you know, we just, I don't know, I guess it was like, just needed to have that kind of spark, you know? And um, one night it kind of went down. There was like a big, big fight. There was plenty of fights that went down. It's almost like I skipped timelines. Like in my street life. fight. Yeah. 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 And, and one night in particular, it, it went down pretty big. There was like 15 on 15. <laughs> Jesus. It was huge. It was crazy. It was like in the middle of the street, you know, there was like uh, people swinging and fighting all over the place. And, you know, it, it gave me that rush. It gave me that rush. But after this fight was over, this one was different. I had like three or four, I think it was three, three of my friends. It was three of them. They were like kind of laid out, you know, and I was like, Oh, what the hell? Like, I guess they got knocked out or something. So I go to pick them up. You know, one of them, this one guy, I go to pick him up. And then like, I noticed that he's like bleeding like crazy. And I guess what happened was one of the people on the other side was running around, like stabbing people, Wow. you know, and, and it was super scary. Right. I was like, Oh shit. So pick him up, put him around my shoulder and, and running this guy to the car. And, uh, he's like passing out. Like he's like in and out. You know, he, and he was losing a lot of blood. It was, it was pretty intense. End up getting him in a car. You know, I just tell the person that was going in the car with him, Hey, put pressure on, on his back. Cause he got stabbed in the back, put pressure on his back, go to the hospital now. So, you know, the guy that was driving, you were all like 18, 19 at this point, you know? So what he does is goes in, smashes on the gas, pulling out of the parking lot and going through. And I'm just like, Oh my God. You know, this guy's getting to get in a car accident. Everybody's in a crazy fight or flight state panic. We're a bunch of kids, you know, don't know how to downregulate the system. It's just like, we literally just got through a big battle, you know, and then you see the police coming, we're jumping over fences, we're running, end up going to my friend's house. And I had this moment where I was looking at myself in the mirror and, and the, the amount of blood that was all over my, my, my body all over my shirt, I had a big white tee on because that was like the style. We had like these crazy big white t-shirts, the, the amount of blood that was all over this shirt. And it was just like all in my face. Cause I was like trying to carry this guy. And I just like looked at myself in the mirror for like a solid, had to be like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Mm. And I just didn't, didn't move. I was like, what am I doing? This isn't, this isn't it. Right. But like, because of my, my, my father, my, my, my parents putting me in Taekwondo at a young age. And I developed that love. I had that anchor that I was able to pull myself out of that and kind of go into a direction. Right. And man, thank God for that. And from there, you know, a couple of days after that fight, I was sitting there with uh, my cousin and uh, we were looking up at the stars. Cause you know, we all have that, that cousin or that, that person that that's like, really, we could really connect with. This is Sean, my cousin, Sean. And, um, I was just like, cause like, this isn't, this isn't it for me, mm. you know? And there's like airplanes flying over, you know? And I was like, I need to be in that airplane, you know, traveling and, and doing my thing. You know, I, 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 I shouldn't be in this situation, you know? Cause after that whole fight, when who knows what's going to happen after that? You know, there's retaliated people, you know, and got to get them back. There's, there's, you know, it just gets crazy, you know? And he said, all right, do it then. And when you said that, I don't know why those words had so much impact on me, but that literally shook up my soul. And from there, I was like, all right, I'm just going to do it, you know? And um, I started training in the park, literally just kicking in a park by myself, I didn't know what to do. You know, uh, it was just a weird situation, weird time. I was just kicking in a park and, uh, that's all, that was me just doing it, you know? And, um, I had this little boy come up with his mom. They're like, you're doing Taekwondo. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I am. Right. Leave me alone. And then, uh, they were like, um, can, can he train with you? He did Taekwondo too. Yeah. Right. And he wanted to be a fighter as well. It's so, so random, you know? And at the time I didn't have a car and the mom would like, you know, we'll, we'll take you to trainings, you know, and we'll, we'll take you to these little competitions. And I was just like, let's do this, you know, and I had a little soft spot for the guy, <laughs> you know, he was a kid. And so I started working with him. We were kicking at the park, doing little core stuff, you know, just doing the best we can. And then, uh, yeah, we'd go to these events. We'll go to little training sessions. And, um, yeah, finally we got hooked up with, uh, 
this guy, he, he had a gym out in Richmond and uh, we were training once a week with him. And then finally he was like, so what is your goal, man? Like, what are you looking to do? <laughs> and, and, you know, my vision ever since I was like 15 was like the, the, the top level of the sport, you know, cause I felt that I had it inside of me, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, that, that's, that's it. So I told him, you know, national team, you know, uh, world-class athlete, you know, I'm meddling for team USA all over the world. Like that's, that's what it is. And he said, okay, how are you going to do that with a, you know, training with a kid, <laughs> you know, and, and, and at a park, you know, and I was like, man, I'm trying to figure this thing out, bro. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm trying to, I'm just, I'm just going down this path, you know? And, uh, he said, okay, move into the gym. We got a room back here, move in. So he, he kind of, you know, stuck his knuck out for me a little bit and told me to move in. And literally two days later I go and I get all my stuff. I, I, I drive out there, I had a little cot in the back of this little small gym. It, it wasn't in Oakland. We didn't move to Oakland yet where you came in. It was a different place. So you were living in the gym in uh, Richmond. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, from there it was crazy. You know, I, I set up my little schedule. I had a guy that I would run with in the morning. You know, I had another guy that we would kind of kick out with. And then I had, uh, the team training at night. It was, it was awesome. What was, that's wild. And what was like your, your parents response to all this? Like what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is like an incredible amount of like intrinsic motivation. Yeah. Like was your, what was your dad and or your mom like as you were growing up in those early years? Did you feel an excessive amount of pressure? Or were they really supportive? How did they nurture this? Because uh, I think that would be really valuable for people to hear. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, my parents didn't know when I was going down that, that crazy path. When you were getting in trouble and stuff like that? Yeah. I think they knew that I was a little wild, but they didn't know exactly what was going down. <laughs> Most parents don't know. <laughs> yeah. Which if is they scary did. being a dad. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. But yeah, I, they didn't, they didn't know. Right. I, honestly, the way how my, my parents did it was like, per, they actually were martial artists too. My, my mom was a black belt. My dad's a black no belt. No way. Yeah. In Taekwondo or in, in a different martial art? In Taekwondo. Yeah. Oh, and, and my sister, they're, they're all black belts. Just dangerous family, dude. <laughs> Talk about the warrior family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They all kind of so they were they were big in it, but they were really good at letting the coach be a coach. Mm. They were really good at that. My dad was a um, like not not overstepping their boundaries, for example, and and like being in the coach's ear or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Really good at that. You know, like mm. my dad was an athlete. Um, he still is. He, he's a runner. He, he did track and field, um, ran the 400 hurdles, which is a nasty event. And, uh, he would, he would come in and he would say, uh, in the mornings when I was younger, right. Before I like really locked in my pet, like my, my mindset and everything, Hey, you, you want to go run? And I would be like, no. Then, <laughs> then that was it. You know, that was it. Sometimes I would go out with him, but I'd be like, no, I'm trying to sleep. And, and he wouldn't force. He would just be like, all right you know, and then he will go do his thing. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think, um, that example that he sent by him training like that, I just grew up seeing that we joined martial arts. He joined probably like a couple weeks after I did back in 91 or 92, whatever it was, but he, he did it on his journey. And, and it was more of a example rather than him forcing me, mm. you know, and same thing with my mom. She, she, they were more of examples of, showing the dedication to go through and get a black belt in a martial art rather than sitting on his side and just like expecting me to go and do all this for them. They were like, and it was really powerful. It was really powerful. So the way how they did it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's incredible. And I don't, I mean, there's, there's certain parents, like I I feel very fortunate and blessed. Like my family in in a different way was very similar, like really supportive. Let me and my brother do us. Basically, I think, and this is something that you shared earlier, what I got from it is like one of the things, and this is part of being, I think a dad, but especially having kids in youth sports, it's like putting them in a position, putting them in an environment where that environment can be the grounds for learning and trusting the coach. And trusting basically, whether it's a coach, a mentor, having someone in their life that they can look to and get that type of guidance from, 
putting them in the environment. And then like you're saying, just taking a step back and observing. Like I was super hungry when I was young and I never really felt that pressure from my parents. I just developed it on my own. And in a different way, like my dad wasn't per se like a competitive athlete, but just watching him work, Mm. like watching my dad's dedication to something. uh, And for him, it was, you know, work. And I just remember him coming home late or sometimes uh, just seeing him work with my uncles and stuff in a family business. And it was like, I didn't know exactly what was going on as a young kid in terms of like, I didn't know why he was working, whatever, but I observed and I felt just dedication Mm. and work ethic. And that absolutely through osmosis passed along to me Hmm. in your coaching. Because now, you know, you're you're a very successful coach. You have a, a program that you run close by. You travel, teach with the national team. Like in your experience as a coach, I'd be curious to hear uh, what are some of the challenges that you experienced? Like, what are some of the difficulties, especially with young athletes? Like, I'm so passionate about that and so interested because I have a son now. But what are some of the challenges that you observe as a coach, specifically bringing up and kind of fostering these young athletes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, developing the love and the passion for the sport is a big one, you know, um, without rushing, if that makes oh, sense. Wow. Yeah. You know, cause I have to remember that the passion that I got for my sport didn't happen overnight. Mm. Honestly, you know, um, I didn't really start compete competing like really heavy till I was like 13, 14. That's when I kind of turned a corner with it. And that's when I started like locking it in. And I think for me, I forget that. And I tried to fast forward these guys into like, no, you guys got to be on it now, you know? So I think that's, that's a, been a challenge and just being able to be patient with them and, 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 and mm. keep, keep that love and support mm. with them, you know, even if they don't share that same kind of passion, you know, and, and knowing that like for some people it takes a little bit of time, but having that space where if they do lock in and that passion does like go up to the highest level, then I'll be able to support that too. You know, I think that's a, that's been a big one for me, you know, being a coach to some of these athletes. Um, you see the weight cutting thing is uh, crazy because it is a combat sport. So it's a weight, uh, weight class sport. You see some of these uh, young kids that are out here, like really ruining their body. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's insane. You know, there's that. Can I pause you real quick, TJ? Yeah. Right before that weight cut, I'm really curious. Like you had said in terms of like, supporting and fostering maybe an environment for a young kid to like blossom. Patience is absolutely key. In addition to patience, is there anything else that comes to your mind in terms of how you either structure the training or the environment that you create that can really foster this blossoming, but in their own time? Um, What else do you think that comes up for you and how you structure stuff? Yeah. Or what goes into like your unique recipe to allow for that to happen? Well, yeah, I, I think um, the chief doctor, <laughs> Dr. Happiness, the vision, <laughs> the vision, you know, it, it, it all starts from the vision. And, and I think with these kids and some adults, right, it's not just kids that I'm working with. I work with people from all ages, but like I try to help keep that vision as clear as possible. And when, the more clear that the vision is, the more that it comes from within. And the vision for like the, the type of athlete that they want to be or what goes into that vision for you? Yeah. The, the, the type of athlete that they want to be, the, the, you know, the results that they're looking to have, um, honestly, what the best version of their self looks like, mm. you know? And I think, I mean, honestly, that's bigger than the results is, is what do you look like when you're performing? on a daily basis, inside of training, outside of training at your highest ability. And if you're hitting that, then you're able to, to kind of get it going, right? That's, that's when you're, you're, you're able to lock in, you know? Um, I have my, my motto for the team, right? It's a just be, right? And pretty much what that is, and we say at the end of all our practices, one, two, three, just be, you know, that's our little (laughs) cheer, you know? 
and, and pretty much what that is, is it, it's, it's exactly that you, you visualize the absolute dopest version of yourself, right? Like you at the highest level, you loving your life. Everything is like with challenges, obviously, but everything's pretty dialed in, right? What does it look like? You know, what, what kind of things are you doing? You know, how are you moving around throughout your day? When challenges do come up, how are you handling these challenges? Right. And really kind of foster a, a really clear vision of that. And from there, you don't want to want it anymore. You know, goals are cool, but goals is a separation of your reality and, and what you want. Mm-hmm. Right. So goals are cool because it starts off with a goal, but you want to skip that and you want to just be it. Not trying, not hoping, not wanting. Right. We're not doing the, the fingers crossed. Right. It's like literally embodying that version of, of yourself. And so really, you know, take, try to tap into their, their passions. I try to make them visualize and see what that version of their self looks like. And not everybody's going to have that vision in Taekwondo. And honestly, I am 100% okay with that. You know, as long as they're able to see that version of their self in their mind, it could be in anything, you know, um, then, then I feel like then we're going to be able to start getting into bringing that passion and out of being the best version of their self. Right. Does that, you know? that answers the question beautifully. Reflecting on the conversation so far with TJ, one of the things that it's bringing up in my mind and in my heart is how certain people at different points in time have played such a pivotal role in my growth. Whether they knew it or not, maybe that was a coach I had, a parent, a mentor I had. And again, they may not even have known it, but sometimes the right words at the right time can completely change our trajectory in life. And I feel like when we have those certain people with the right intentions and when we're ready to hear that information, it can be an absolute life and game changer. Now, that type of feedback is one of the things that we strive to create an environment of safety where men can come together and essentially where the feedback we provide from a respectful and loving place is such that we can use it to sharpen our swords, to get a little bit more dialed in our life with areas that we know we need to show up better, areas that need to bring healing, areas that we need to come together in community and grow as one unified unit. And so the next Men of Movement Retreat is June 8th through the 11th. We're only three weeks out. If you're a man who resonates with some of what TJ and I are sharing and you would like to come to be better, to surround yourself with like-minded and like-hearted men. This is such a unique opportunity. It will be a whole curated series of activities, intentionally created activities that all center around the theme of productive discomfort so that we can essentially light the fire so that we can transmute ourselves and return home with a greater level of vitality, leadership, presence, grounded and show up better for ourselves and our family. If you'd like to hop on a call with me to apply today, just go to the link in my bio on Instagram. You can also go to my website, mikesalemi.io, click the Men of Movement tab, or just find it in the show notes. And I look forward to hopping on a call with you soon. Now let's get back to the show. And you and I have had some small conversations about this, and I'd be curious to hear your your input around, like I know one of the things in, in youth sports or youth athletics or whatnot is there's this propensity for these participation ribbons. Like everybody, irregardless of the effort that they put in and how much they are, how big they show up or how little they show up, like everyone gets the exact same award. Right. So what's been your experience? Are you a fan of that? Not a fan of that? What's your take on that? It's whack. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. It's whack. Bro. I'm with you, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In the moment, it might feel good for them. You know, okay, I got this. I'm gonna put this on my wall, you know, but you, you need those losses. You need those, those, those moments that, you know, where you kind of get beat down a little bit, you know, cause I think we all kind of, if we lived our life a little bit, we all know that when you lose, you get so much more, you know, and there's something losing hurts. It's painful. You know, it's not the, it's not fun. Right. But in a weird way, there's something a little exciting about it because you get called out on your shit. You know, it's like, okay, why did that happen? And that question kind of brings up 
your greatness. That that you need to go through those moments, right? Like let's say there is the, you know, master of sport version of Mike Salemi, you know, where you could go in and reach the top of the top of the top, right? That version of Mike has been through all these learning lessons. And that's why you're able to be so wise. And and that's where the greatness is, right? Mm-hmm. Is being able to been able been able to maneuver and get around all those uh, the struggles and those downfalls. You know, it's like when you get people that are on the top of the middle stand. You know, you hear it all the time. They're like, "Man, I'm so happy that I didn't quit all those hard times." <laughs> you know, <laughs> where I was in tears. My mom didn't let me. You know, leave when I wanted to leave. Thank you to my parents for you know supporting me and keeping me involved. Thank you to my coaches for supporting me and keeping me involved. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those moments, you know, and if they're getting the participation medals, well, that's just all it's going to be, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get cut off right there. So, you know, there's so much value in, in going through those, uh, those shadow periods. Dude, I think hearing that in full agreement, not surprisingly, but I think the big thing is, is really reformulating our relationship to failure. Mm. How do we navigate like, what is it? I mean, you said it beautifully, but you know, how many fighters, I was just watching something on like McGregor, but how many fighters out there have said, I learned exponentially more from my losses than my wins. Like they have to go back to the drawing board. You have to reinvent, you have to look at new things like your nutrition or like, you know, your training program. Are you overtraining, undertraining? Maybe you need a new coach. Maybe you need to got you caught last time in the ring. So there's so many, there's so much opportunity for learning. And I think it's more about reformulating how we view and experience quote unquote losing or failure because in life, like that's just participation ribbons just are not given in life. Like it's just not how life works. But if you can hone that, that skill set from an early age, it's like a parent that's overprotecting their child Mm -hmm. and doesn't want them to experience any pain. So they put them in a bubble and they don't realize that even though, yes, the intentions, like I think it has beautiful intentions. I get it. Nice intentions. But when you actually put it into the real world, it just doesn't work. And, you know, you and I have had also conversations around and I'd love for you to explain a little bit of how Taekwondo works. And when you're in a match and, uh, you know, I know you were sharing with me at one point about how head strikes and stuff like that works and, and eliminating that in you. So can you, you know what I'm saying, right? Can you go into that a little bit and like how that relates? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so pretty much I kind of got into it earlier is boxing with your feet. The way how it goes is there's sensors that that are in your, in your socks. So you got like slippers or something that you put on your feet and there's sensors in there. And if you connect the sensors to the chest guard or to the helmet, it'll score for the most part, <laughs> you know, but it, it will score, it'll score and knockouts. If you, if you score a knockout, then, then you win. Right. And yeah, one thing that's interesting is uh, some countries and us is one of the countries they have a thing called a junior safety rules. And what that is, is pretty much if you're a certain age and I, and I get this, but if you're a certain age, you're, you can't, you can't kick to the head. Right. Or, you know, some competition, they'd be like, all right, very light head contact. Right. And then, you get some kids that get kicked in the headlight and then they're like crying all over the place and then you get disqualified and it, it gets really funky, you okay. know, with that, with that, with the junior safety rules, I think it's a little shaky, you know, and I kind of in a weird way, put it into the participation category, petition medal category, but I understand you don't want kids getting blasted to the head sure. and getting knocked out all over the place. Right. It gets, gets interesting because it is combat sport, you know, and, and I feel like you have to develop your, your movement. You have to develop, you know, your defense, you know, you got to develop your, your, your blocks, you know, and when you take that away from some of the, the, the kids, right. At a young age, once they get old enough, right. To kick to the head, they're getting like blasted and they don't even know how to defend themselves. Right. You know, so it's like, I get protecting them, but you know, at the same time, it's a combat sport. <laughs> what, what age, is there an age that you would like, you know, I know you're saying like focus on the technique, focus on the skill. Yeah. Is there an age that for you feels more appropriate in light of like, if someone did want to compete and did want to go down that path, what feels right for you? Hmm. Yeah. There's so much that goes into that. Okay. Cause you see these young kids that get into it really early and then they have like a burnout, you know, like you get these little rock stars, you know, that like, eight years old, seven years old, you know, and they're like moving like 
Bruce Lee out there, <laughs> you know, and they're like killing it. And then it kind of like it, those guys always kind of have a little burnout. You know, it's very rare that you see somebody that's like performing at a high level at that age and kind of stick to it all the way through. Mm. Uh, I think it depends on their situation with the, with the parents and the coaching, you know, yeah, it's hard to tell. I think as long as there's a love and a passion for it, or there's a developing love and a passion for it, then, then it's good, you know, but I think it's just with those young kids, it gets so shaky because, you know, parents get involved and coaches get involved and then it doesn't stay fun for them. The love kind of goes away and, and it turns into like a crazy pressure because they were doing all this at a certain age, you know? So it, I think it just depends on, on the team and around the athlete and how it's okay. And how it's handled like that. Yep. 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 Okay. And what would you say, how many is burnout pretty common then in, in Taekwondo at a young age? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I think the biggest drop off that you see in this sport is um, when the kids go to college. Okay. Yeah. Because you, you, in the beginning of our conversation, I told you what I had to do to be able to compete at a high level after like high school and all that stuff. I literally had to like, <laughs> we had to go and get a warehouse and, you know, get cots and sleep around. And, and that's not realistic for a lot of people. <laughs> you know, that's tough, especially with school and, you know, it's expensive to live out here and, you know, the whole thing. So, you know, that's where you see a lot of the, the drop off, you know, that's like very common, very common when people go to college. Yeah. And you were sharing earlier about the weight cuts. I'm curious, like what is, you know, in any, in any weight class sport, like we're talking about some of the realities that, that happen, not just in life, but of course in the, in these sports. And I know you and I have had multiple conversations. I mean, you even call me from the road about navigating certain situations and like, I'm really a proponent of no weight cuts, especially for young kids, just because of the damage that it can do to the body. And it set me up for challenges in my relationship with food and, and a bunch of other things. How does the weight cuts go in Taekwondo and what do you tend to see with that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because most people don't come from the holistic angle mm. in this sport. It's just not a part of the culture. You know, not to talk down on anybody, but like some of the, the plans that you get, even from the highest level, you know, like back, back when I was competing a few years ago, let's say, you know, let's say like 2015 or whatever, I got a plan uh, for like weight cutting and a nutrition plan. And I was working with you, but I was like, yeah, send it over. Let me see what we got, you know? <laughs> and, and, the, and the stuff that they were giving, it was just like, what are we doing here? You know, it was like, you know, gummy bears, literally gummy bears to give yourself like a sustained energy, you know, and like the food choices, you know, I mean, there's, get cliff bars, you know, but it's just like, there's, it could be so much better, you know? And I think a lot of people just don't have the the knowledge of how to really hit it on an optim, optimum level, you know? So I think for one, that's one thing that makes it dangerous. And, and two, even if they were doing it like crystal clean, you know, like everything is dialed in hundred percent, I still kind of stay away from it or I would want to stay away from it, to be honest. In Taekwondo, what's the, what's the distance between a weigh-in and an actual fight? Yeah. So pretty much around 24 hours. Okay. And in that 24 hour, most people, are they just, do you tend to see, and I know this is, might be an overgeneralization, but do you tend to see people like just simply kind of starving themselves, not eating, or do you see dehydration protocols a lot, like mm-hmm. sauna, sweatsuits? How do most people approach the weight cut? Yeah. All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. I mean, some people got the, the knowledge how to water load. You know, you see water loading. That's like a pretty popular thing. Starving. You see people starving themselves. Uh, yeah. I've seen people doing uh, diuretics. You mm-hmm. know, they go in and, and, you know, taking those little chews, you know, to try to get it off, which is crazy because then you're about to go get, you know, smacked to the <laughs> stomach the next day. Yeah, that gets dangerous. Yeah. You, you see all of that. Can they do IVs? No, you can't do IVs. Okay. Yeah, because it is a USADA sport. It's an Olympic sport. And the IVs is a way where you could kind of hide the, the PEDs. You know, you could kind of flush it out by using IVs. So they cut that out, which is brutal. This is brutal. And when someone's cutting an insane amount of weight or, or just any respectable amount of weight, and then they go into fight, how, 
has that had an impact in the performance, either in your performance or what you tend to see? Like, how does that show up? Oh man, I could speak from my experience. You know, I've, there was a tournament in Mexico one time because I used to, I used to rely, there was a time when I would rely on cutting like eight pounds in one day. I'm like, oh, I could work out, <laughs> you know, I'll probably lose like four or five in a workout and then maybe hit a bath and lose another four or five. If I'm fully hydrated and I'll be fine. It's just like what I do. I could train, right? And there was one time where I learned my lesson. <laughs> it was Mexico. We were fighting. And for whatever reason, you know, probably had to do with my, you know, the lead up to it. You know, I probably wasn't the cleanest. I probably had a lot of sodium. I was just retaining. I couldn't sweat it out. And it was literally hell, you know, getting that way off. Finally got it off, but I was so beat, you know, and, and when your, your body is used to that, that the crap in your system, you can't recover it right. You know, mm-hmm. your body's just, you're operating off of crap, you know? And yeah, the next day when I went and fought, it just felt like my legs, like I just did like a thousand squats, you know? It was like, like I just beat the hell out of my legs. And that was the big one. I felt it in my calves, you know, when I was sitting there, you know, getting ready for the fight, it just felt heavy, you know? Uh, another thing that's really dangerous is when you, when you dehydrate yourself, like your brain, you know, think about that brain. It just turns into a sponge, you know, your muscles, you get all these little micro tears inside of your muscles. And when you go out there to kick, there, there's, there's no way you could bring that back. There's no, in, in 24 hours, there's no way you could recover that. You know, you're talking about a week or something to, to get your body back at a level after you put it through that kind of trauma, you know? So I felt that before and I have a lot of <laughs> some crazy stories on people cutting too much weight, but I will say this. 99% of the time, I would almost say 100% of the time, when somebody goes, you know what? I'm not cutting weight anymore. I'm going up a weight division. The performances always go up. Mm. You know? And I think, totally know what you're saying. I fell in that trap myself, but it's like psychologically, it's like really enticing. Like if I'm lighter and I go down and I'm bigger and I can like use, you know, let's say I'm walking around at 170, but I compete at one, 160 or 155, whatever it is, it's like... Yeah. I can compete and have so much more, especially in a combat sport when you can use your size, especially as, as, as an advantage to put the pressure. Like I could totally see how psychologically it can be really enticing. And you see it so much in fighting. Like so many guys compete at, at way below what should be their natural, their natural weight class. What are some of the other consequences? Like I know, you know, in any, in any, especially combat sport, like there is a risk, like, and I think that is one of the big things, like, and I just want to reiterate, like, I'm not a fan of young kids, like getting rocked in the head. Oh yeah. Like not a fan of that. However, like preparing athletes in the proper way in the right environment for what they're going to experience just by the nature of the sport, I am a fan of. But that being said, like you've experienced some pretty gnarly injuries over the years mm-hmm. and and head impacts and stuff like that. So what after, you know, competing from four years old towards to 30-ish years old, mm-hmm. what are some of what your body had to sustain? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I took a lot of impact. I took a lot of injuries in my career, more than most people, more than most people, I would say. Yeah, one, like two year span in particular, I, I dislocated my elbow right off the bone. You know, went up for a crazy kick. Both legs were in the air. I fell down with my arm straight and the guy fell on top of me and detached it off the bone. It was, it was bad. You know, I ruptured my Achilles. Is that the, that was the injury that took you out. Is that right? Yeah. When we were training together and you were on the national team and stuff. Yeah. That, that was yeah. the one. Yeah. That was a, that was a big one. That was a definitely a pivot moment, you know, broke my hand multiple times the hand this hand couldn't stay stay right you know surgery on that tore my groin pretty bad uh that one didn't really get better till I was done you know that one that kind of just stayed with me for the most part concussions I've had a lot of concussions uh most of them a lot of them was in taekwondo but a lot of them was just being a wild and crazy kid you know playing basketball smacking heads into (laughs) each other you know you know, but a lot of them was with getting kicked and, you know, falling down and hitting my head and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Rough round. It was a rough go round, you know, especially when I look at some of these other players that were out there. I'm like, I had to go through all this. What the hell? <laughs> and you were competing. I mean, your height, how often were you competing? Oh, man, you go, you go. So it was a, a point system. You have to get your international ranking points 
as high as you can. So everybody was chasing that number one spot, right? And in order to do that, you have to, you have to fight overseas. So luckily, uh, I got hooked up with a, with a guy that pretty much, he, he was a billionaire. Dude had a lot of money. His son did martial arts. And he pretty much like surrounded his son around like some of the, the players that were out making noise. And he pretty much said, whatever you guys need, this is our team now. And if you need to get these points, let's do it. And so there was a time where I would literally go like five countries in a row, like back to back to back to back to back, then come home, you know, and we were gone. We would go. It was like maybe once a month, we'll go on an international trip. Once every two months, we'll go on a trip, you know? So there was that team. And then with the national team as well, you know, it was extremely Jeez. busy. And that's why I reached out to you. Cause you know, you go to China and, and the food is just so crazy. You need to have some kind of like solid rock <laughs> of like, okay, I need to be able to eat like this, you know? And, uh, it was, it was, it was a lot, a lot of, a lot of competing, a lot of traveling. Yeah. And through that, I mean, just the nature of competing that much, let alone training that much. I mean, there's just, there's more opportunities for stuff to happen. I mean, this is where I think too, like you and I see eye to eye in terms of health is the foundation for high performance. Mm -hmm. And I will say when you're competing at that level, at that level, the nature of competing, like it comes with an inherent risk. It's like, yeah. there's a difference there. There is not, not saying you can't win and be healthy, but there's a difference between winning and health. And I think like, it's a fine line, but even like that, that type of question for the vast majority of people who, especially kids, like they shouldn't even be worried about that. Like right. focus on health, focus on the foundations. There's so much there. And then if you're at the top 1% and you know, you got to make some decisions because your payday depends on it or your live stream. Like most people don't need to be, in my opinion, like concerning themselves with like major health issues, like in order to win. You right. know what I'm saying? With your son, what I'm really curious about, brother. So you have a beautiful son, Zayden. Zayden. Who's just yeah. a bundle of light. For sure. And he travels a lot of times with you to the gym. And yeah. it's so cool seeing him. Like I've seen him off to the side, like holding onto a railing and <laughs> just like doing little sidekicks and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm curious, like how, and you know, he's three years old, so obviously you have been raising him, but in light of everything that we share, as we kind of start heading into bringing this to a close over the next few minutes, what I'm really curious about, how are you planning on raising him? Are you going to bring him into Taekwondo if that's what he wants? Or how, how are you planning on raising him as, as an athlete and, you know, being a coach and then being one of the highest athletes in, in the world? Yeah, well... I had some time or I put some time in really thinking on how I could be the best possible father, you mm -hmm. know, and one of the things that came up is for me to be the best example that I could be, you know, and I think it goes back to how your father and, and my father, our parents kind of set the standard by how their work ethic was. And, and so we were able to sit back and observe and see that and, and kind of, you mimic it, right? It's crazy. When you have a kid, literally everything that they're experiencing is something that you're providing. It's insane. That's all that they're absorbing is the world that you create for the them. environment. Right. Yeah. And so if the environment is, is you got people that are dedicated to themselves, you know, living a healthy lifestyle, you know, uh, living the life through love, you know, and, and doing all that, that's just kind of what they absorb, you know? So when it comes down to like, you know, getting him into the athletics and all that stuff. I, I'm not pushing Taekwondo at all. What I am, I put him in gymnastics, hmm. right? Cause it's super fun. You know, you got the foam pits, you got the balance beams, you know, it's so great for the, the, the core strength, the flexibility, you know, you came from gymnastics yeah. and that was actually an inspiration. You know, I was <laughs> like, well, if Mike did it, let's get this guy in there, you know? <laughs> so I did put him in that. Right. And, and from there, you know, his, it's his world, you know, and, and he kind of goes towards, he just could kind of pick up the tools that he sees from having cool uncles like yourself, you know, and parents, you know, that have that drive, you know, cause that's just what they're, you know, exposed to. So I'm not, I'm not going to like really push for him to get into Taekwondo or, you know, in, in something like that. Even though I think it's a birthright to have some kind of martial arts, which he has, 
like you said, he's kicking, you know, he comes out and he gets the boxing gloves and he always wants to box me. You know, he, he always says, all right, let's box that. You know, so I am giving that little, you know, he, he's going to have the warrior in there. But when it comes down to what he wants to do with his life, I'm just going to kind of, you know, support it. And, and whatever he chooses to do, as long as he's doing it through love and, and, and you know, I'm going to support that. So that's kind of my approach to, to him. I love that. And when you said it's his world, like that really landed with me, especially being a dad now. And it's like, it really is. It's their life. Yeah. It's their life. I think really what I'm hearing from you and I feel the same way. It's like, it's our job as parents to keep them safe, especially, you know, to protect them. And that can show up in many different ways. Sometimes putting them in a situation for them to fail or for them to like fail in a safe way and let them know that we're going to be there to pick them up, especially when they're young and just love them regardless, Mm -hmm. create the environment so that they can learn, you know, as safely as possible and, and love them, you know, and, and it's so cool to see your relationship with him. And, you know, that, is really neat because the way that I observe you and I've known you now for quite a few years, like the warrior mentality that you have, this is just my observation, knowing you as a friend, like maybe Taekwondo is what really allowed that to flourish and really maybe where it was honed and those, that sword was sharpened, man, just, it's so cool. Like how you live Mm. and how you teach and how you show up as a friend for me, like when we drop in, even even right now, you're locked in. And, you know, we rarely talk about ever Taekwondo. We're talking about it today. Right. But it's like that warrior mentality of, you know, protecting the family, protecting yourself, being very focused of creating that structure, the discipline, working through adversity, like redefining this relationship to failure. Like those are all things that I see and experience in you. and uh, and you know, I think maybe Taekwondo is maybe the arena that you really got to hone that in. But that is what I really see you like passing on to Zayden through osmosis. And the thing that I, we talked about earlier, like, you know, our fathers pass this stuff through osmosis and them just getting to witness us. And mm-hmm. he's getting to witness from my eyes, he's getting to witness and absorb the warrior mentality and mindset via everything that you're doing in life, both in and off of the mats. That's great. That that means a lot to hear you say that. The vehicle for that is love. I always bring it back to that. <laughs> you know, so I had those couple of rough years. I actually had a lot of <laughs> rough times on my career. You know what I'm saying? But what kept me going, even though I was getting beat up, you know, getting concussed and, you know, hurting myself. And, you know, it was because of love, the, the love that I had for for the sport, the love that I had for the daily of it, you know, of getting up in the morning. That's kind of what fueled, I think, the warrior, that love fueled my warrior, you know. And even when it comes down to Zayden, you know, if I could help him kind of lock into that, right, where he's able to have that love, you know, then I really think that's, that's the answer. That's going to be the infinite power that could drive anybody, you know, and think about the feeling that you have for your mom, you know, the feeling that we have for our moms, our mothers, you know, that your father, you know, your son, our sons, that that feeling that we have for them is so powerful Mm. that nothing will get in the way of that. You know, nothing like you would do anything. You will walk through a fire. If you seen that your mom was on the other side and something really bad was going to happen to her and you could save her, but you have to walk through this fire. We get burnt today, baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like nothing will get in the way of that. Yeah. And, and, and what that is, that's, that's love, you know? And if you're able to connect that, that same emotion and that same feeling into what you're doing in life, you're in heaven, even though you go through hell moments, you know? And so, you know, that's, 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 that's pretty much it. You know, and that's what I'm trying to give back to the people that I'm working with, these athletes that I'm working with, the anchor of passion for something, you know, just like how I had that anchor when I went off, I had that, that rope to kind of pull me back. You know, that's, if I could like really provide one thing to everybody is, is to have that because it's so powerful, you know, so love is the answer, my man. (laughs) Thank you so much, TJ, for sharing, man, and dropping in with me today. Yeah. That is. That's a mic drop right there, bro. (laughs) 
<laughs> this was super fun, man. And I learned some things about you that I didn't know, even though we've known each other for God just knows how long. And so, dude, I'm so grateful for you to be here. I'm grateful for your friendship. As we close off, are there any final words that you'd love to share or that are coming up in your heart, my man? Just that I'm really grateful that you're doing this, man. Tune into your podcast and the people that you're having on here. You have the power to really change lives. And I know you are, mm-hmm. you know, but I just think it's the work that you're doing. The world needs it. And it's contagious. It's contagious. You know, I'm just grateful for you. Those hikes that we went on early on, the citrine crystal necklace that you gave me, <laughs> you know, all the way through, like all the stuff that we've been through. We've been through some deep stuff. <laughs> some really deep stuff. And um, I'm just grateful for for you. And for those folks that are out there, remember, you know, the love is going to be the thing that's going to really make you live your best life. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you, TJ. Yeah, man. I love you and appreciate you. Love you, Thank you. Love you. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path, and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.